Everybody, 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 drop your stop, 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 Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. It's been a while. I am Sean Ross. It's been a while. Britney Spears blackout. I'm Evan Katz. Evan Ross Katz. Oh my God. Evan Ross Katz. Wow. No relation. No relation between Sean Ross and Evan Ross. It's true. We've never addressed that. We haven't. I mean, um, hey, you never know. Maybe there's some lineage that well, takes us back. Yeah. And... <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Okay, what are we doing here? If you can see the title of this podcast, which surely you can because you clicked on it, we are recapping the Challenge USA. It is not Survivor, but it's Survivor adjacent. And hey, we're in the off season, so we can do whatever we want. Not only that, but I would say, (laughs) I think Survivor proper could take some lessons from the Challenge USA uh, in terms of its production, uh, there's so many elements of, of many of which we'll get into, but I hope that the, I believe success of this show, the ratings seem like they're there. I hope that this success begets more from the challenge, but I also think that there are some aspects that I hope can be adopted by our beloved Survivor. It's a very interesting time for the challenge because this show has been on forever. I don't know how many regular seasons of the challenges is something like they're in the upper 30s i think like 38 or something and it's well established on mtv it's been around forever i've heard about it forever i've never watched it i know like a few years ago we started to get some survivor crossover i think michelle fitzgerald played i remember michaela played i think there's been others i just haven't followed it that closely but now they're doing this spin-off where i think the challenge mtv is still going on but cbs is doing its own thing which is then going to tie into an international version of the show which is why this is called the challenge usa we can talk about that a little bit more in a minute but the unique thing about this is that all of the contestants come from cbs franchise shows so we have represented here survivor big brother the amazing race and love island to everyone's surprise i think which is extra interesting because Love Island just went to Peacock. So it's already mm. one of the four shows is no longer <laughs> within the family um, in the time between when this was filmed and now. Um, but yeah, I think, be, I mean, also, and I, I don't think we're the first people to recognize this, but Love Island is an outlier for many reasons, uh, but the most obvious of which is that the other three shows are competition reality. I guess Love Island is technically competition reality, but it's different, right? There's not a strategy implemented in Love Island. It's perceived as less of a game and more of a matchmaking opportunity, whereas these other three shows kind of, you know, I think Survivor is the most strategic among the three, but all of them have strategy and they share an ethos, whereas Love Island is about love and fucking. Yeah, and there's like a challenge element. I mean, I don't know if Love Island has challenges. Maybe they do. I don't know anything about it. This is most part of the problem. I'm coming into this. I feel very outside of my wheelhouse because I don't watch Big Brother. <laughs> like I watched Big Brother up to like season like nine or ten or something like that, and then I fell off. I don't watch The Amazing Race, though I kind of wish I did. 
haven't seen Love Island US. I've seen a little bit of Love Island UK, but like don't remember it. It was years ago. So a lot of these people are new to me and I don't know what happens on their shows sometimes. Right, which I I imagine a lot of people that are watching these shows are coming from that place where they either know one or one or two, perhaps. I do want to contextualize. I was a Challenge super fan from the outset. I watched the Challenge from the very, very beginning. At that point, it was the real world road rules challenge. And in the very beginning, they would take six, I believe, contestants from the real world and six contestants from the road rules and have them face off. And this, I think we're talking, I think we're talking the early 2000s at this point. And what was so appealing for me at the time was once someone was on the real world, they were done. There wasn't so much like a reality television circuit at the time. Mm. So the challenge presented this opportunity to see your faves come back. I mean, Danny from the real world came back and played the challenge, which was like a rare opportunity to see Danny again. And then over time, the challenges started to sort of balloon because there became more of an interest in the challenge than in Road Rules in particular. Road Rules was canceled. And at some point, they started to recognize the fact that they needed to bring in new people that are just challenge players. They don't necessarily have to be real-world Road Rules alumni. And that's when the show really took on a life of its own. And at that point, I kind of stopped watching it. So what the show has grown into is it's way more challenge-based, as is the title, um, where it's very much a show about physical capabilities, you know, scaling buildings, jumping out of planes, where the earlier iterations of the challenge were way more about the drama of the personalities from the real world road rules and how they would get together and clash and also the opportunity to continue drama from the show. Famously, Melissa and Julie from the real world New Orleans had a huge falling out that took place on the challenge. So it was very much built as one thing and then over time became another thing, not dissimilar to our beloved survivor, albeit in a different way. But so I was really curious to watch this show both from the perspective of a Survivor super fan, but also just to see like what the challenge had become. And I think that's mm. one of the areas that's been so interesting is I, although it's a shell of its former self, when they did that final, so the two losing pairs go and face off in like a final battle. I was like, oh my God, I remember this. This is from the challenge. And then lo and behold, it's, it's because it is the challenge. Yeah. Well, I've been trying to cram. I've been doing some research on the challenge. I haven't watched any of the previous seasons. Don't know if I will. Like, we'll see how I feel about it after this is all said and done. I have heard some gripes, and I did put a call out for uh, people's thoughts just a few hours ago on the Drop Your Buffs Instagram to see, you know, who's watching, what do you think of it? And I heard a bit there, but I've also read in other places that some people are a little disappointed in this version of the challenge because they feel they're going too easy on the contestants, that the challenges aren't as hard as the regular challenge. Um, That's like sort of understandable to me because I think that there's this whole like ethos that's been built up around MTV's The Challenge where there's like every season has returning players, as I understand it, to some degree. And then they also bring in new people. Sometimes it's All-Stars. I think they're just wrapped in All-Stars. And so there's this thing of like people coming back every single season. You see how they're progressing and then they just like push them to their limits, right? So I think I've seen a little bit of comparison about the challenges that are here and how they're sort of like watered down versions 
of challenges on the challenge um, and then some criticism that like the host is doing sort of a Jeff Probst thing being like this is the most amazing group of people I've ever seen and I think challenge super fans are like no it's not but interesting I'm just like having fun jumping into this feet first seeing what happens but I think that's important context to any of our listeners that are challenge fans and or historians Both Sean and I do not watch this show, so our vantage point, and we're being explicit about that from the outset, we are Survivor fans watching this show because there are Survivor contestants on it. Obviously, I know TJ from the early seasons of the challenge. I remember him vaguely, but like things like whether or not the challenges are as hard as standard challenge we admit the fact that we do not know. So we might say things that you're going to say, wait, in this season, blah, 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 they did this. We, I was going to say, we hear you. Actually, we don't hear you. Uh, We physically cannot. But also, we recognize the fact that, like, we are not claiming a stake in this show in the way that we would Survivor. We simply are interested in it and are kind of, as Sean, as you said, like, we're dipping our toe in and we'll see. Maybe we'll get our ankle in and maybe before you know it, our knee. But right now, it's a toe. So if you're listening and you're that person, like, feel free to call in and roast us. Send us a voicemail. Tell us what we got wrong. Tell us what we're missing. I'm sure there's some big things we're missing. The sort of game theory strategy that goes into this. I'm just like, like, I've hit episode three and I'm like, wait a second. That's there's a whole other way to look at this. Who has money? Do I want their money? Should I do I want to go up against them? Then I started thinking, like, are we going to get a Ben situation? Ben, who's on this season, where it's like you put yourself into the arena. Can can the winning team put themselves into the arena to take out a competitor like that would be interesting i don't even know if that's allowed in the rules i don't see why they wouldn't like that'd be great tv um so i feel like every episode that goes by i'm learning like new potential strategy new ways to look at the game because originally i thought oh it's it's physically it's just a pure physical challenge and other than that i don't see a lot of ways to strategize but i'm i'm learning that i was dead wrong well, it's funny, too, that you're saying that people are saying that the challenges are easier than standard challenge, because from watching these three episodes, my biggest takeaway is how difficult these challenges are in comparison to Survivor and how many components they are. I mean, I'm even thinking, is episode three the one with the hangman challenge? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, even watching that, I mean, the amount of steps involved in that challenge and the running back and forth, I mean, and even, oh my God, the when Aza uh, and, uh, see, I think we're going to run into name issues quite mm, a bit. We're going to run into because, big name issues. Yeah, so <laughs> Aza and I know his Wasn't name. Wasn't Aza was paired with Kylind? Yes. No, Ozzie, not Kylind, in the third one. Yeah. No, 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 but I'm talking about the one where they were paired together and they went into the duel and everything and they had to untie the ropes and everything. I just was like, oh my God, this is so exhausting. They had, I believe it was 20 or 30 minutes to tie up all these ropes and then switch teams and have to spend time untying them. So it's just funny. I guess this all comes down to perception, right? But from my outsider toe dipped in perspective, I was like, holy shit, these challenges are so hard. Well, it's interesting because on Survivor, they don't tell us how long the challenges take because that rope tying challenge really reminded me of the old Survivor challenge where you would have to build like a fortress that the other tribe would have to get through. It's like we had no sense of really how much time they were given to do that. Some of them did like quite elaborate, you know, 
contraptions that people just couldn't get through. I imagine that would have taken a lot of time. I imagine some of these shots, I mean, we see, I think we only really get like time elapse information on um, endurance challenges on Survivor and those can go forever, of course, but we don't really know like the extent of some of the standard challenges, how long they take and how much work they are. I really like that about the challenge that they tell us you have 20 minutes to do this, right? Like to go into the water, jump on these tires, collect a letter, bring it back, make words. And I mean, like I was watching that being like, wait a second, how is Tyson going back three times? How much time do they have? And then it wasn't until I rewatched, I was like, oh, they have like a full 20, 30 minutes to do this. So that that is significant. And like, you have to pace yourself, right? Because it's right. grueling. Right. And, <clears throat> excuse me, you also have to decide, like, is it worth it to spend the time? I, I like the fact that there's a lot of mental elements to the challenges, such as making the decision as to whether or not it's worth it to go out and collect more letters, because then you lose a second person that can be potentially making words. But if you send them out, you might have more letters with which to make words. So there's just a lot of decision making um, at play. Now, I imagine we're going to go over who our Survivor cast members are. Yeah, well, wait, before we do that. I was going to say, I was going to wait. I was going to do a but wait, but you go, but you wait, but you but wait first. But wait, before we go on, I want to make a little announcement here about Drop Your Buffs, because if you are not a challenge watcher, then you're probably going to drop off this episode at some point. So before we get to that point, I want to let everybody who's listening know that Drop Your Buffs is launching a Patreon. Long overdue, I think... People have asked us about this, uh, which has made me very excited. Um, So people want to support us. Of course, this podcast takes a lot of time, resources, and money to create, which we have been happy to do and we are happy to continue doing. But if people want to show us some support, we've come up with some fun ideas to make it worthwhile. Uh, For example, we are going to start sharing... uh, over time, all of our video of our interviews with Survivor alumni, all of our interviews have been recorded, most in very high quality. We've had a couple of hiccups, but we do have we do have video for all. Uh, I think there's a couple that have not so great quality, but we're going to make them as great as we can and post those for our patrons, depending on what tier you're in. We are also going to do Patreon exclusive episodes. So there will be episodes of Drop Your Buffs that you can only get on Patreon. For example, we have another new reality show debuting this week called Snake in the Grass, also featuring former Survivor players. So I believe the premiere has Earl, Ewell, and Malcolm all three of which I am happy to see back. There was a time in history I wouldn't have wanted to see Malcolm do anything else, but then we met Joe and I realized how good we had it with Malcolm. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to see that. We are going to recap Snake in the Grass as it comes exclusively on our Patreon. So you're going to be able to go and check out what we're offering, the various tiers that we are offering things at, and you can subscribe to the Patreon as of August 1st. And by that time, we will have, hopefully, our first recap of Snake in the Grass, as long as that goes off without a hitch. And the first video interview that we will be sharing is of our very first interview ever 
Aussie. So you'll be able to see all of that. That Aussie inter- that clips from that Aussie interview have gone viral multiple times. Uh, it's speaking about somebody who's on this season of the challenge, Sarah Lucina, and we'll get to that. But that will be available on our Patreon. So very excited to launch that. Really excited to be able to build a community of people around there where we can sort of like chat with each other and share more content with you there. In addition to all of our usual content here, which will continue to be free for people who can't or don't want to subscribe to our Patreon. You'll always be able to get our survivor recaps here and our interviews here for free as well as things like our challenge recaps and whatever else we're choosing to do. So... Just wanted to get that out of the way. Patreon well, incoming. Well, I do just want to say, too, the the <clears throat> element of the Patreon I think I am most excited about is that we are going to be releasing our ranking of the 42 seasons of Survivor. We are going to give our Patreon uh, subscribers advanced access to that ranking. I feel like it's something people have been asking for for a long time, and I'm really excited for you and I to do that because I think it's an opportunity to shine some light on some seasons of Survivor that we think are some of the greats that are typically, when I, is it high ranking? When I say high ranking, I mean like are not given, I always get confused when it's a ranking <laughs> thing. Is high ranking meaning that it's a high number? Because high number is bad. No, I would say high ranking is a low number. Okay, so then there are typically seasons that are low ranking seasons that we consider high mm-hmm. and vice versa. I mean, I don't think it's a spoiler to say Kagayan is not going to break the top 20. I don't even, I mean, we'll see. I, it's not breaking the top 20 for me. So I'm really excited for us to do that and to be able to speak about season, like a specific season more holistically. It's something we haven't done yet. I know it's been requested by a lot of people. So among the many incentives for our Patreon, I feel like that's going to be a real treat for people. And I'm really looking forward to recording those episodes. Yeah, and we will release those eventually on the main feed, but early access on Patreon. And you know, Evan, I was thinking, just spitballing here, because we have to come up with our list before we start doing episodes on this. And I feel like we should record us creating our list because we're going to argue a little bit over some of these. And that might be a Patreon exclusive. I love that idea. I'm going through my head right now of like, <laughs> it's hard because it's like, I'm actually less interested in like, I think when it comes to our top seasons, I think we'll be more that I'm less worried about. For me, I'm more looking forward to arguing about the worst seasons. Mm. But I have one coming to mind immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to disagree on some, to be honest. There's a couple I'm sure. that, yeah, I, I have in mind as, okay. So that aside... Let's talk the challenge, the first three episodes, but we do have a little bit of basic tombstone information here that I want to get through. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. So we have a whole whack of people competing. I didn't even count them. There's like 24 there people. There are 28. Holy shit. 28 people competing for a chance to win $500,000 They have to win their way into the finale where they can actually compete for that money. So they're basically winning legendary legend stars (laughs) in a way. And in lieu of legendary legend stars, they're earning money in a bank, which they earn from winning challenges and or defeating people in the elimination arena. So if you defeat a pair in the elimination arena, you absorb the money that's in their bank. Okay, so all you have to do is make it to $5,000 
in your bank in order to compete in the finale, which this is a little confusing to me because that basically means all you have to do is win one challenge and then survive, right? We saw that happen with Tyson in episode one, where it was like, he won the first challenge with Angela. Now they each have whatever, $6,000 at that point because everyone starts with $1,000. So they're in the clear. They have made the finale as long as they don't get eliminated. I feel like you should have to make a little more money. Maybe, but there also could be some sort of twist that comes along in which you're able to take money from Mm -hmm. other players. Again, this is a prime example of us not knowing the show. Or if you could spend your money like fire tokens on certain advantages. Right. So, but yes, if you simply need to win one challenge to get to the finale, it is a little bit easy, but also... Being that they're eliminating people every week, I don't think that the like that challenge win is not really the ultimate goal so much as it is surviving yeah. to get like surviving to literally get to the finale. Um, I think that's the more challenging aspect of it. So to me, it's sort of like yeah, yes, you have to cross the threshold of winning a challenge, but I think that they're more focused on uh, those duels. What I like about this is you can't fly under the radar. Like, you either have to win or you have to be put in the elimination arena and potentially get eliminated from the game, right? In order to earn the money you need to get to the finale. Yes. You can't amber your way to the end. You cannot amber your way to the end. I did want to mention the breakdown of the shows within that 28 contestants because I think um, it's worth talking about because I do think there's a little bit of a an aspect that is a tad unfair. I think it is hmm. I, it's how, how I would frame it. So of those 28 contestants, I originally thought it was going to be equal equal uh, amounts of people from each show. That is not only not the case, it is far and away not the case. Dead so, wrong. Yeah, the biggest representation we have is from the show Big Brother, where we have nine contestants, six of whom played on the last season of Big Brother, four of whom were in the final six alliance, the cookout. So I think that that is extremely notable because you have six people that have played a game together and four of whom have been a part of an alliance and a very successful alliance, the most successful alliance in in Big Brother history. So those are your nine uh, Big Brother players. Then you have an equal amount of Survivor and Love Island contestants. That is eight contestants each. And then you have three contestants from The Amazing Race. So An afterthought. Completely. So one thing that we're seeing play out vaguely, and then also a a couple times explicitly, is this idea of, like as Shan called it at one point, staying Survivor strong. Now, we have to recognize the fact that like, a lot of, like these Survivor contestants very likely don't know each other, especially Shan and Danny, who just played in Survivor 41 and who likely have not participated in any like alumni events that would see them, you know, meeting folks like Tyson or Sarah Lucina. So, but yes, they have the shared, you know, background of being from this show, but I don't think it's necessarily agreed upon by everyone that they want to stay with their show. But in the case of like, Big Brother, six players that played the game on the same season, that's a little bit different. So one thing that we are seeing when it comes to the determination factor in who is going, who is, you know, possibly up for elimination, we're seeing the winning team often making their selection based off of show. And so, you know, we are three episodes into the show and we have lost two of our three Amazing Race contestants. We are down to one Amazing Racer. Um... 
So it'll be interesting to see where things go, but I also am just very curious as they were constructing the show and deciding on a 28 person cast, which is so massive, how they landed on that 9883 breakdown is very is very peculiar. I would love to know how they landed on eight Love Island contestants because I thought that Love Island US had one season and I, I was under, I don't know if this is Mandela effect or what, but I was under the impression that Love Island US had one season and it was canceled before it was finished. I don't know where I got that, but that is was my impression of Love Island US, which Love Island UK is like a phenomenon in the UK. It's like the most watched reality show in the UK. People come out of that superstars. And I just had the impression that it totally flopped in the US, but apparently it has three seasons and eight people worthy enough to be chosen for this other CBS reality show over The Amazing Race, which is like their most awarded show. I mean, The Amazing Race wins Emmys every year. People love The Amazing Race. It's family friendly. It would bring in like younger audiences potentially. Maybe they don't want that, but like it's CBS we're talking about. I just don't get, I don't get the disparity between Love Island and The Amazing Race specifically. Yeah. I have to say, though, I have been very pleasantly surprised by many of the Love Islanders because not only do I not watch that show, but I know nothing about it. It's not something that's on my cultural radar whatsoever. And three episodes in, I have a complete awareness of my Love Islanders, many of whom I'm rooting for even. And I have to say when Cashel exited exited in episode two, I was kind of like, my king, my king. Um, and that was just, you know, two episodes in. So I, I, I am finding myself quite invested in these newbies. And in particular, in episode three, when we lost James, who is uh, the season 32 winner of The Amazing Race, I was like kind of heartbroken because I was he like, was I'm star. really rooting for him. Yeah. Um, I mean, he had a bow tie in his confessional, which was like, that was a point of frustration for me. Um, but I, other than that, he was a real star. And, and so anyway, it's it, this to say that like, although I as a viewer am survivor strong, like I am rooting for my survivors. Um, I do find myself like finding other people to root for. Um, I'm pretty of the mindset like anyone but, but Big Brother is sort of like my, my mm. you know, um, from the couch strategy. Yeah, I would say same. I too have grown somewhat attached to the Love Islanders. And I think that what they bring to the show is like the messiness drama aspect, which is something that I really miss from Survivor, like if I have a big complaint, I mean, I have lots of complaints about Survivor, just listen to our podcast, but if I have a big complaint, it's like there's not enough interpersonal drama, which is like really, I think, what the show was built on in the early days. And I mean, you bring it like Love Island, that is that is the brand, right? So I think to bring them in brings that element in. They clearly like that on the challenge. I mean, they're sending them like for nights out. Uh, I don't know that it's like really coming to much. I think we have a problem here where none of the survivors are going to partake in that. They're all like older for the most part, married for the most part. And so it's like, they're not jiving quite the same, but I like that juxtaposition because like at some point there's potential conflict there, which could be really good TV. Totally. The other thing I think worth mentioning, and again, some people listening are going to say this is so obvious, but I was struck by this. We've never 
had the opportunity to watch Survivor players playing in competitions when they are nourished and well-slept and, you know, properly fueled to do these challenges. So I think one of the big surprises is seeing someone like Desi, who is like completely like uh, a, a beast really. And it's like so exciting because again, we only know these people as like malnourished people living on an island, just trying to survive the day. And also worth noting, because the Survivor cast is leaning, is so skewed towards modern Survivor, in which I think, you know, for instance, in the case of Shan and Danny, the game is much easier, they play less time, they're given more food. It's just interesting to sort of see what these people are like when they're like fully fueled. I think Tyson in particular, it's like, wow, Tyson is a total challenge beast, which he's good at challenges on Survivor, but I don't think of him as a challenge beast, mm -hmm. but maybe, am I misremembering? Maybe he is? Uh, I don't think he's like known as a challenge beast. Okay, but like on this show, it's like, he's that guy. Can I correct something? Please. I have a lot to say. First of all, Sh Shan and Danny, yes, the, yes, they played an easier game, but they weren't given food. They, they literally didn't have food. They had rice for three days. So I, I like, I will push back on that. I know, I know we're talking about the new era of Survivor. It's very controversial. But, you know, one thing to celebrate is that they are not given any food. Okay. <laughs> Next. Uh, I do want to talk about some of these survivors because it's interesting. Like, to see Desi here, I have to be completely transparent. I didn't remember who she was. Oh, me and either. This is because she played on HVHVHVHVH, and I didn't watch that season when it aired. I didn't watch it until last year, early last year, when I decided begrudgingly, knowing I was going into this podcast, that I would have to watch those seasons I skipped, which are from... HVHVH to 39. And but you had I seen watched... David versus Goliath. No. You hadn't. No. I had watched a few episodes and I was like over oh, it. I was just, I was in a very dark place with Survivor at the time. I was f fully fed up. After Advantage Geddon, I could, I was not, I was not on board. Sarah's win, like, okay. We can talk about that another day. But. Desi, I had no recollection because I had watched each of those seasons literally in a day. So I watched Heroes vs. Hustlers vs. Healers in one day. And so there's a lot that I forget about those seasons. I have like little moments that stick out to me. And unfortunately, I didn't remember Desi. So I went back. I like tried to do my research on Desi. Desi did win a couple immunities in a row. So like, Obviously physical, I just don't remember her on the season. And I feel bad about that because I really like her in the challenge. I had no idea who she was either. I slept through most of that season, but I do think that she is a, the kind of person I want to see return because I'm kind of like, oh, I didn't get to, you didn't stick in my memory the first time out, but you are going to now on this show. And so she's sort of like a prime returnee in my opinion. Mm. Whereas some of the returnees, and this is not just with Survivor, but in general, you're sort of like, we got all of the juice from the lemon the mm -hmm. first go of it. And it's like very clear that Desi has like more to offer and she is a very physical player. This seems like a great game for her. Okay, wait, but going back briefly, um, 
Am I, I recall hearing something, whether it was from our Parvati interview or from our Sophie interview about them getting food. Um, it was one of those players that had played the game more than once comparing their early seasons, to their later seasons. I think it was Parvati. And so I'm not accusing 41 of giving them food, but there was, do you remember the interview I'm talking about where someone was like, when I play, I think it was Parvati talking about 40 and it was like, they weren't as hungry. Yeah, but that was not the new era of Survivor. That wasn't, so starting with 41, they said, you do not get food. But they never said in 40, you get food. uh, I think they were probably given like rice or whatever. They probably wanted a challenge. Okay. Where in 41, they never won rice, right? So they, uh, they, at the merge, the people who did not win the feast got a serving of rice back at camp, which they stretched out for, I believe, like, the oral history on that is, like, they were man- they managed to stretch it out for, like, three days. So they had that much rice. That's the only food they were given. I mean, obviously, they could forage for food. They could catch fish, et cetera, et cetera. They had reward challenges occasionally, right? Um, it was also in the new era, there's not reward challenges every week, which we've talked about. So there is less opportunities for food. And then when they get them, it's like fucking PB&J sandwiches or like cookies, right? So so that's my okay. piece on that. No, no, you're right. I am wrong. <laughs> I am wrong. I, I own my But it's my a shorter problems. amount of time to go without food. Okay. Like, yeah, but I, needless I give to say, you that. My point being, I think it's exciting to see these players yes. in a very different circumstance yes. because Love Islanders, Amazing Racers, Big Brother players, they're, they're not sort of, you know, I actually, I don't know for certain when it comes to Amazing Race, to be honest with you, but I know in the case of Big Brother and Love Island, like they are being fed, they're getting sleep, they're at 100% physically and mentally well i guess mentally with big brother they're isolated but you know what i mean yeah like, and big brother has not... the slop element too like it's food but like but it has nourishment like they're being mm-hmm. like they're getting mm-hmm. like so anyway all this to just say i find it really exciting this opportunity to watch survivor players in a game that doesn't have the same parameters or yeah. limitations rather of survivor yeah i just want to talk about the other survivors because this is a survivor podcast so let's just highlight them and talk about them momentarily so tasha really excited to see tasha back i think she's like really like an underrated star of modern survivor and it's kind of a shame she hasn't been back since second chance right yeah and i think she's just great tv she was great in Cagayan. she was great in second chance and so it's like really nice to see her here and you know like spoiler alert devastated that she went home so early in episode oh my three. god devastated and it sucked because like it was again this is the show though but it's like it's she made one mistake and that mistake cost her the challenge and losing that challenge i mean it just was like i don't know i wanted there to be some opportunity for her to like have to get back on up on the beam or something. And I was like, I don't know. I, if she was going to go out, I wanted it to be with more of a fight. And unfortunately, it just was, she didn't have the opportunity to fight. But yeah, I mean, a great three episodes. And I would say of this cast, survivor-wise, the player I was most excited to see on the list. Yeah, I think she just brings something. There's like a level of maturity that she has, which um, has certainly like, I mean, it was there in Kagayam, but you know, that was so long ago now. Uh, she has matured as a person and I felt like she brought heart to the challenge that you don't really see in a lot of these, especially younger people. Um, So I just felt like she brought something special that's now gone. 
And I believe she is the oldest cast member of these 28. Oh. I believe I read that somewhere. Um, so wow. I think it's just great to have, you know, someone older playing the game. Yeah. Uh, then we have Shan. We've talked a little bit about Shan, but I mean, I'm I'm really excited to see Shan back on TV, especially in a different setting, because I know that Shan can bring some messy energy, some chaotic energy that has already come to fruition in certain ways, both in the show and outside of the show. We can get to that a little later. I will update you on what's been going on with Shan on Twitter, where you won't find Shan anymore. Uh, but I'll, we could talk about that in a minute. But excited to see Shan. It's, it's fun to see, like, I mean, it's certainly not long enough to to have any nostalgia around it. But, like, you know, little callbacks to the Shantham and stuff are, like, I think cute. And, like, I just feel like she's very charismatic on TV. You're making a face. I'm making a face only because, like, <laughs> the Shan... First of all, like... I'm not down with the Shantham, but the Shantham in the context of the challenge did not make sense. It didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. She was just randomly singing it as like a pump up for the challenge. But the whole (laughs) idea of like the Shantham is like you, I guess in theory, sing the Shantham before you're about to make like backstab someone or make a power move, which so I think if we're going to try and make the Shantham like exist in the multiverse i think it needs uh, more clarity around when it is deployed and so and also just like it's just not catchy i'm sorry so not here for the shantham but uh, but aligned with you in the sense that i think that there was more story for shan to provide from survivor i think that happens when when you go out in in such a way that shan did so i think she's a great person to bring back and i am more inclined to want to see her back on a show like this than I am on Survivor proper. Yeah, I actually feel like she would excel better in this sort of setting. I feel like she'd really excel on Big Brother, not being aware of what happens on that show at all. But I do think it, it is one of those moments where like, you do wonder how much the contestants of the other shows know about the other mm-hmm. shows and who these people are contextually um, is something I'm like curious about. Like, do the players, I think at one point, someone from Big Brother makes a comment about Shan being known yeah, as far as like- Yeah, because Derek and Shan are, are paired together in episode three and that's right. where they talk about the Shantham and she's trying to convince him that like, you know, like I'm not, I'm not really scheming or strategic, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, wait a second. That's exactly what she said on Survivor and she was scheming and strategic. Right. So like- What's but also, too, like, here? let's say you're Sarah Lucina, for instance. I would not look at someone like Shan and think, oh, because we're on the same show, I want to be aligned with her. I would more be like, oh, I've seen how you play on our show. And as a result, I do not want to align myself with yeah. you. So, again, it's an interesting thing of, like, are, do you align with someone just because they are born of the same, you know, entity mm-hmm. that you were? Or do you kind of say, oh, I... Now that I have that context, uh, this is reason to either play with you, but have one sleep with one eye open or, or whatnot. So anyway, yes. But I would say all in all, Shan is a great person to bring back for this show. Yeah. We talked about Desi. Okay, let's talk about Sarah Lucina. Mother. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I said that when Billy and I were watching and we both just burst out laughing because that's You my... call her... You call her Mama, I call her Maga. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's, that's a better name for her. I have to say, there is an element of Sarah for me 
distance makes the heart grow. <laughs> Something. I, I have to be honest. I'm really glad to see her on the show. And though I can recognize that we do not agree when it comes to politics, I think Sarah is a great survivor player and i think she's good television and there have been several talking heads where i've snapped my fingers and just been like work so um she's really good on tv yeah she's good on tv and she's good at what she does like she has people talking to her and like wheeling and dealing i don't think we've seen really anything like big come out of it but i feel like they're really laying the groundwork here that like she knows what she's doing so i gotta hand it to her she's she's interesting to watch she's good tv i'll give her i also just think it's good to have a winner you know on the show Mm -hmm. um so also just breaking down the demographics (laughs) well we have i thought we had three survivor winners you're right so we have so just to break that down real quick, we have three survivor winners on this show. We have one Big Brother winner and we have one amazing racer, which I think is interesting because, you know, with Big Brother again, it's the most dominant show, but you only have one winner. Whereas Survivor, I mean, I would I don't I can't do math, but three out of the eight are winners, which statistically uh would make it seem like they really, you know, went for more all stars. Yeah. And I think it's fun to see Sarah back. I think that um you know, she's had three very dominant Kagayan, but three seasons in which she played a big role on Survivor, and she's seeming to be able to do it again. And uh, I have to be honest, I'm I'm kind of rooting for Sarah. Whew. Okay, she's among the, she's among the coterie of people that I'm rooting for. Okay, okay, let's talk about okay, another so winner, like Tyson. Uh, the Tyson is the one I forgot. I was like, okay, we got Sarah and Ben. I forget that Tyson won because I erased that season from my memory but okay tyson is also a winner and like the clear standout star of the challenge usa up to this point and i have i have to say my friends dan and brendan uh they host the podcast come through queen they're watching the show for the first time the challenge usa like we are because they are big brother fans and so i asked dan i was like because he's never seen survivor i was like who amongst the survivors is the standout player for you and he was like without question like tyson he's like tyson is the player to a non-survivor fan that you're like is running the show which i think both the game but also the reality television aspect of it as well i mean tyson is clearly a star and he's bringing a bravada that's very reminiscent of token sheens like token sheens tyson um where was that tyson during uh heroes versus villains we'll never know but um yeah i'm i'm ultimately glad to see him here i guess yeah i think that i find that i'm liking tyson in this environment a lot more than i like him on survivor and i think that has and to it- do with his maturity level i think he's grown up a little bit and although he's still kind of pulling the same crap but I don't know. I'm just, I feel like it works better on this show. There's that moment that took place where Alyssa and Tyson are paired together and Tyson's making the comment about, you know, I was talking to someone the other day about they, you know, could bike 10 miles and he was like, that's just a warm up. And then Alyssa was like, that was me. And then Tyson turns to her. Do you know the moment I'm talking about? I thought that was yeah, like a great yeah. Tyson moment of like him being a total like uh, macho man, but also having the ability to like, 
get a laugh after it. I do think I've never really been a big fan of Tyson's, but I do recognize a dynamism in Tyson that he is like a very like well-rounded character. Whereas I feel like to compare him to like Tony, for instance, I feel like with Tony, you get the same note all the time with Tony. And then occasionally you get like the, oh, but he's actually a dad. And like, so there's just Mm -hmm. that yin and yang. Whereas with Tyson, I think that that humor that comes through with Tyson, I think really, you know, sort of shades his overall character in a way that makes him uh, more interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's talk about our final winner, Ben. And we're done. Okay, let's talk about Dom. (laughs) No, that's good, yeah. (laughs) Dom, actually, I... I have been a bit mixed on because Dom is not the kind of survivor player that I love to watch. I know people really love Dom from Ghost Island and, you know, his whole story with Wendell and getting to the end and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he came in second. Yeah. And I get that, but it's just not for me. It doesn't appeal to the gay demographic whatsoever. But again, there's something about this environment where I'm like, oh, Dom is kind of interesting because he's different than everybody else. Like he's made some comments about how he's older. You know, he has this wife. He keeps getting paired with Love Island girls. She's not going to like that. And he's kind of like having to navigate this. And then, you know, in that challenge in episode three, where he's like refuses to plug the drain because I think he just forgot. Um, And then they end up winning. I was like, wow, good for him. And then and then Dom of all people of all people dom delivers the most gay line in the entire show so far when he says always remember to plug your hole wisdom i'm not uh for or against dom dom is sort of like uh oh okay they cast dom kind of uh moment i mean i can't help but feel like there are so many better contestants I would slot in there. But like you said, it's like Dom is delivering more than I expected him to deliver. But I do think that like, if we only got eight slots for Survivor, Dom is not someone I'm like, ooh, Mm. let's bring back Dom. But at the same time, I wouldn't be like, oh, let's bring back Desi. I barely remember Desi. And here we are being like, yay, Desi. So... I think ultimately he, he it's working. Um, but I do, again, going back to that conversation we were having earlier, it's just like, I would love to know, like, were they kind of like, okay, we can hear all the Survivor contestants are on the table for the picking, or were they kind of like working off of like a list that was provided? Did they go out to a bunch of Survivors and they were like, would you be interested? And then looked at the yeses and then went from there. Like, I would love to sort of know how this casting breakdown worked. And are these players in consideration for future Survivor seasons? Like, is Tasha or, or Dom someone that they would have potentially brought back for an all-star season if they were doing more all-star seasons. Um, Yeah, but I mean, again, going back to that, though, what's interesting is it's like, you have to imagine Tyson, Sarah, and Ben are not going to play Survivor again. I mean, probably not. Who knows? But, like, probably not. So this is, again, a rare opportunity to see these people competing. Yeah. But like Dom, I, I am confident we would have gotten Dom back on Survivor. It's interesting because it's like when you talk about if all the Survivor contestants are on the table and why do they pick, 
coming back to Dom's gay comment, it's like th- th- this is a very heterosexual show. And now that we've lost James from The Amazing Race, who I think is the only gay person, unless there's a lesbian yeah. that I'm missing. There might be I'm some not seeing women. a lot of, there might be, there might be. And but it certainly has not been Derek, a part of their character. Right. Derek and then gay? you would think, De- no, I was going to say you would think Derek from Big Brother is gay, but Derek from Big Brother is not <laughs> He's gay. Not gay. <laughs> um, yeah. It is it's not a shame. A very... I think it's a real shame because there's a lot of opportunity. And like, you think like, um, well, there's not that many athletic gay people that are on Survivor because they have to be athletic. I mean, there's like Josh and Reed from San Juan del Sur. I read is on Instagram spinning around like he's pink at the 2010 Grammys. Like he's in the (laughs) air. He could do the challenge. Yeah. And I mean, uh, not a gay contestant, but a gay baiting contestant. Michael Yerger Mm -hmm. would have been a great person to bring back. If not, you know, not a gay, but for the gays, you know, in many senses. Ozzy Um, would be great to see on the challenge. I mean, I think Ozzy to me, Ozzy's like too big for the challenge. Um, but, but I will say there is a contestant that I, so the, not to get too rumory, but the, I have learned that there is hope to maybe do another go of this and they are in talks or there are conversations being had about, you know, which survivor players to bring back. And I do think the hope is to go out to some even bigger players than we're seeing now. Wow. Did I tell you this offline? I've never heard this in my life. Oh, we'll talk. Uh, gladly (laughs) okay finally we have danny from last season well season 41 uh i don't know what to say about danny on the challenge i mean i'm liking him he's fine he's bringing up his wife an awful lot i was just gonna say we have danny and then we have you know kiki (laughs) the the 29th contestant yeah yeah exactly exactly well, let me give you a small bit of tea because as you know, this isn't tea, but like my own personal experience from going to the Survivor 41 finale, I have to say that, you know, like one of my highlights of all that time that I spent with the Survivor 41 contestants was hanging out with Danny and his wife, Kiki, who is literally, I am not exaggerating. Kiki is literally the funniest person I've ever met in my life. Like, most charismatic. She is a superstar. She needs to be on a reality TV show. So, like, I don't know if they're priming Danny to come back with Kiki at some point, but it's very suspicious the amount that we're hearing her name on this show. Um, I love to hear it. Uh, I'm enjoying seeing Danny back. I mean, like, you know, Danny was my trade of Survivor 41. So, like, happy to see him and his big ass back on the challenge. Because it looks great. So, yeah, uh, I am happy to see Danny. Like, I'm curious to see where it goes because I haven't seen a whole lot of in terms of like the strategy or the sort of like that element of the game. Obviously, he's strong and can do stuff, but uh, is he going to be strategic enough to get to the end? Yeah. But I mean, like, I think uh, if we get eight players, Danny definitely checks off as far as like someone that you'd want to have representing Survivor. Now, I'm going to play a little game with you very quickly. Of the 28 contestants on this show, four have Wikipedia pages. And I would like you to guess the four. Sorry. Oh, so this is across all. Across all. Oh, Jesus. I I think you can do it. Yep, all of the contestants, four have Wikipedia pages. Sorry, do any of the Love Islanders have a Wikipedia page? No. Thank God. Okay. Um, I would say that Danny does because he's he's football. You're doing good. 
Uh, I would say that how many of them are survivors? I think all of all them of would them. be survivors. Oh, yes. Okay. So I would say that Tyson probably has a Wikipedia page. Tyson does have a Wikipedia page. I would say that other people here have a Wikipedia page. Sarah? Sarah has a Wikipedia page. <laughs> wow. It's amazing what the Republican Party can do. Yeah. When they're not voting against gay marriage. Um, Sarah, Tyson, Danny... Somebody else has a Wikipedia page in this group. I guess I'm going to guess Ben because he's a winner. There you go. Oh, wow. That was almost. So I do think it's notable, though, like the winner of the Amazing Race does not have a Wikipedia page. And so I think it just goes to show my again, call in with like statistics here. But my sense is that Survivor is the dominant franchise among these four. I mean, it's because the I most also, watched, right? Yeah. But I also feel like Survivor is on twice a year. Um, again, I, I don't know about Amazing Race or Love Island. I think just Amazing Race the Big is Brother typically on twice a year. Okay, fair. But the Big Brother perspective is it's like, sure, everyone's talking about Big Brother for the three months that it airs during the summer, but it's very out of mind, out of sight. And I think that Survivor, I mean, in addition to being the longest running amongst these shows, because it, it, sur- it surpasses Big Brother by a season, right? In terms of Big Brother premiered in 2001, I believe. Um, but even so, Survivor's two, two, two a year. So anyway, I just uh, it was very telling to me about Survivor's place within the pantheon of these four shows, which made me very Yeah, I don't know how hard it is to get a Wikipedia page. I mean, apparently 24 of these contestants don't got one. Listen, <laughs> if, I could, if I knew how, I would give Cashel a Wikipedia page. Um, you know, it would just be me celebrating Cashel. Yeah, maybe you can start a Wikipedia page. And his painted nails. Yeah, Wikipedia. <laughs> wiki hands okay so uh w- wow this is going long okay so one more thing before we like jump into the episodes which we can just sort of breeze over because if you're listening to this you've probably watched the episodes or you're about to watch them and you just wanted a primer okay but one more thing before we go into it this other element of the show is the algorithm so this is different as i understand it because some Seasons of the challenge are played individually. Some are on teams, like the tribe dynamic sort of of Survivor. Um, others are in pairs. There's always different ways to do it. Sometimes I think you're with your pair the whole way. Or like, please correct me if I'm wrong. But I think this is an iteration that has also been done where you switch your pair every episode. So you're randomly, but they've. I don't think they've ever done the algorithm. I think that's new. So they have this computer that supposedly allegedly Mm. randomly pairs you with a different person each week until so and they have to be male female pairings until all the possible pairings have been done and then from that point on they will pair you randomly but you can't be paired with the same person two weeks in a row do we believe that this is a random selection and does it matter Two great questions. We do not believe that it's random. (laughs) um, And we don't believe that it matters. I trust that the show has existed for long enough that they, I trust that they know what makes the best television. And being that this is a season of all returnees, I think that they have a sense of, you know, I don't think they're sabotaging anyone's game here. And the reality is, again, I mean, 
in theory, you're going to play with everyone. Granted, sometimes you're going to be eliminated, so maybe that's not to be the case. But, like, I think the thing that makes it more fair is the idea that, if, let's say you have a bad week where you get paired with someone who's not very good, you're not stuck with them again, and that bad person, in theory, is going to go with someone else and potentially tank their game. Yeah, I mean, but no, I, I, I don't think, especially, too, because, you know, we've seen with Survivor how much it's, like, pull out the colored rocks and whatnot. There's a way to do this that's very transparent that they chose not to do. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't think it matters. I do want to note real quick, though, how I think it's funny that in when they're doing the algorithm, when they go to, are they called the duels? Like, what are they called? Where So those are called the daily challenges. I've heard people refer to them just as the dailies, but it's the daily challenge. And then the, you have the arena, the elimination. Oh, no, arena. I'm talking about the arena. Oh, so that's the, okay. that's the arena. Okay. So I love that the choice. First of all, I think the costuming on this show deserves its own episode. Um, Under Armour, I, I understand the sponsorship, but I don't think you're doing your brand a service by showing off your clothes in this way because there's a lot of fit issues. But anyway, I bring this up because <laughs> at the, uh, the arena, you'll notice that everyone is in their black Under Armour, except mm-hmm. for they have the two winners of the challenge wear their street clothes. And it's just such an odd, unnecessary I choice. did not notice that. Oh, I notice it every well, time. Well, you must have to wear your Under Armour because you, if you're not the winner, you, you have the potential to have to compete. Oh, I get that. But why not just have everyone wear the same thing? Well, I have a little bit of a problem with this because like, I actually like more or less the uniform. Like, I kind of I like, like it. the idea of the uniform. Mm. I, my issue is with the execution. Mm. Okay, I see that. I see that. Uh, yeah, and I think the execution, even like during a challenge where they have a helmet or whatever, and it's nice that they write the names on it, but the names aren't big enough. There were, especially in the first couple of episodes where I was still struggling to get to know people, I just like, especially in their uniforms, they're all dressed the same. It's hard to tell people apart, especially like when they're like rappelling down a building. I'm like, I don't know who this is. Right. And they do their best to like label them and stuff, but it's just not enough for me. If you're looking for a particular fit issue to zoom in on, Kyland in episode one, um, the Under Armour is squeezing versus hugging the body. And that's no, that's Mm. not a commentary on Kyland's body. That's a commentary on the fit. Um, Mm. So I just don't think this is like a great showing for Under Armour. That said, I love the idea of like a uniform look amongst the contestants. And I also just think also to sort of add to that sort of like the thought outness of this show. I do think it's worth touching down for a moment on the uh, shots of the contestants entering the arena. The the two people that are up for elimination get a very WWE, you know, inspired entrance um, where they're shot from multiple angles and multi-camera. I mean, it's just, it's very um, theatrical. Mm. And I really just, I think in a, there's so many aspects of the show that I appreciate, but the theatricality, the decision to have costuming, for instance, um, and the decision to have that sort of entrance into the arena. I just like the ways in which the show goes out of its way to elevate itself. Mm. There's a lot that reminds me of, did you ever watch the show Dog Eat Dog? Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that. Oh like it was like very bombastic, very like over the top. Like yeah. I what I what I really appreciate about the challenge just being new to it is it has this old school 
reality TV quality to it. And that's probably because of its roots being at MTV and their sort of roster of reality shows. But it's like retained that where Survivor and Big Brother have become like really polished, polished end products. This still feels like a reality show. It reminds me of The Mole. It reminds me of Dog Eat Dog. It reminds me of Fear Factor during the challenges. And I really like that. Oh, completely. I mean, there's a little bit that happens at the beginning of episode three when they're doing the recap and they decided to film Kylan, Xavier, and Derek X in a hot tub introing the previously on. Do you know They did the it with I'm episode two as well. Oh, okay. They did all the girls okay. like drinking and being like previously on the challenge. Okay, great. It's like little flourishes like that that are just so fun and also tell you that like the contestants themselves are having fun and not taking the show too seriously. I mean, taking it seriously when they need to. But I just think it's moments like that that really elevate the show. And then also just like, I love the set. Um, they're saying it basically it's like I don't know it seems like a abandoned oh, yeah. kickboxing studio yeah. <laughs> um, meets like Alcatraz um, but I, I really do like the idea that like we're getting little bits of reality show especially when it comes to the Love Island contestants there are two former ki- couples well there, well there were rather before we fucking lost Cashel um, but we had two former couples and so there was some couple drama especially Tiffany from Big Brother is flirting with one of the Love Island guys whose girlfriend is also present blah 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 Getting those moments, which I would still love the show without those moments, but I think it sort of cements the Love Island, like uh, not only the contestants themselves, but what it is Love Island brings to this sort of uh, franchise. It's like you get these like really physical, like challenge-based moments, but then you get these sort of like jealous lover moments. And then you also mm-hmm. get like, oh my God, one of my favorite moments happens in episode one when all the other contestants are two of the a <laughs> former the bar, couple is at the bar? No, oh. not even that. But but two of the former contestants are paired together for the challenge and they complete the challenge and everyone on the ground is yelling at them to kiss, kiss. And Cashel seems like he's about to go for it and she's just like, that is not happening. But I love a moment like that because I think that could only exist on a show like this. Um, and I, I think that's just one of the many endearing moments that they came off of this like intense challenge, but they got like a laugh moment out of it. That was like about shared history from a show that I don't watch, but I was still privy. Hmm. I too was like, yeah, kiss, kiss. So like, I think the show <laughs> did a really good job of world building in a really quick and succinct way. Yeah, they caught us up. They caught us up. I will give it, I will hand them that. Uh, one thing on the setting before we get into episode one, because we're an hour into this podcast. Um, <laughs> it's so funny to me. First of all, like, I don't love the house. I, I like it's interesting because I have never seen anything quite like it or I haven't in a long time on reality TV. But I just don't think that the layout is right for a reality show, especially the bedroom being these bunk beds. It's like, it almost feels like the camera can't get in there. And so like, I don't know what's happening. So you have that moment where uh, Cinco is bringing Tiffany to bed. And it's like, the way that that shot is like, it's so messy because like they they physically can't get in that room because of the way the bunk beds are set up. Um, I'm so curious about you know, being that there were 28 of them and then in that small environment and then everything you're pointing out, how many like camera operators did they have in order, like there's just so many people to keep track of. Well, I also feel like we're missing a lot of stuff. Perhaps, perhaps. But I honestly, it's like, I could use um, 
you know how Big Brother does the live feed 24 hours? Yeah. It's like I could use a little bit of live feed mm-hmm. with this show just because I'm there's so many dynamics that I'm curious about that we've gotten hints of. Um but like for instance, I wonder if there's talk like between the Survivor contestants late at night about their experiences on Survivor. Mm-hmm. Like I, I wonder if there's like game talk. And I think that's one of the real disadvantages with having six contestants of from Big Brother from the same season is I again, granted, it's a great opportunity to like have them, you know, the re-up, if you will. But I do think it's fun to get people from different franchises. And I think particularly with Big Brother, um, so obviously there's the six players from 23. The other two Big Brother players are from season 20 and season 21. So, and Big Brother's currently in its 24th season. So you're not getting any old school Big Brother players. Now, granted, with the Survivor players, the furthest back we're going is Tyson with Token Sheens. But even like Tasha, at this point, 28 is an older season, all things considered, when, you know, when we're moving into 43 now. I just think that Big Brother, it would have been fun to have them, like, pull out some real, like, a Janelle or some of their all-stars of the past um, than having all of these these new players. Yeah, well, don't worry, Janelle's going to be on Snake in the Grass, our next... Our is next. she? Yeah, Jan- Janelle is on the episode of Snake in the Grass with Sari and Stephanie LaRosa. Okay, wait. So when you say on the episode, are we just getting these people for one episode? It's one cast per episode. It is wrapped up by the end of the episode. Think so. How many episodes are there? I don't know. This is the most confusing show that has ever aired on TV. I can't even understand it. It's like it's like airing tonight, Tuesday on NBC, and then it's moving to USA Network where it's premiering, but like it technically premiered tonight, and it's not clear that the episode premiering tonight is going to be on USA next week. And then there's like there's like so it's all males and then all females and then like I think there's also new people. I think there's casts of new people. I think they're just using reality legends to like boost it a little in the early days. And then they're going to transition to new people. It's totally unclear. It don't even get me started on this show. We should get Janelle on here at some point because Janelle is a self-described survivor super fan. I actually have always thought it's crazy that they have not cast Janelle on survivor. Mm. She's expressed the fact that she wants to, she wants to play for those that don't know. Janelle is like poverty level famous icon superstar. Legend. Yeah. I mean, arguably the biggest player to have ever come out of the game played on their recent flop all-star season, which was two seasons ago. Big Brother tried to do uh, an all-star season and it just completely, uh, all of the awful, not totally dissimilar to Winners at War, but like all the awful people went far and all the people you wanted to like succeed left early. So one of the awful uh, people is the fourth person on that episode of Snake in the Grass. So you have Stephanie LaGrosa, Suri, Janelle, and Rachel Riley. No, Rachel Riley was not on the All Star. I thought, oh, she wasn't. No, we would have. I we would have wanted her to be. Yeah, Rachel. I would say is kind of like a Sandra. I would equate her. I thought people hate Rachel. Um, I think. I mean, people do, but I think people like real people recognize that she's like chaotic good. Oh, that's news. Yeah, I mean, she's chaos, but like she's great TV. I don't think we'd want to be like buddy buddy with her, but like. She's, you know. Interesting. She's good. Okay. Well, you work on getting Janelle on this podcast and then I'll work on it. We'll take it from there. Okay. Well, let's talk about episode one. 
We're going to do this quick. We're going to do this quick because I think people have watched But I don't it. think I don't... we're like, I, I just so everyone knows, Sean and I decided, I texted Sean after I'd watched it. I was like, you got to watch this show. We agreed to, so we like put this together last minute. I expect that beginning with episode four will be a little bit more episodic, but this one was just sort of like, we're getting our bearings on this one. This is not going to like look like a survivor recap for us. Yeah. So we're, we're figuring it out in real time. We're late to the party. We're having fun today. And then like maybe after Thursday night's episode, I think it's on Thursday nights, maybe we're going to start taking it very seriously, but I can't make any promises, but we'll see. Like we're going to, we're, our plan is to recap the episodes, right? So yeah. we're catching up today. So episode one opens. We start to meet people. Notable here that Tyson has the very first confessional. And I really liked what he had to say, which was that when he said that quote, I've never felt closer to God than when I was handed a million dollar check from a large corporation. Um, I think that that like perfectly it. summarized the, his energy coming into this game. And like, I don't know why I like it. I was almost said I'm attracted to it, but I'm not attracted to it. Oh, but like, I'm... Fun. I'm attracted to the energy that he's bringing to this show where if he brought that same energy to Survivor, I'd be repulsed by it. I can't explain why. But, you know, setting context is everything. Uh, so we have lots of talk about the cookout members, uh, Xavier, Tiffany, Aza, and Kylan, and that obviously is going to be something that's carried through multiple episodes here. We're introduced also to the Love Islanders, and we get a little bit of background about uh, Cache. C- confusing that there's a Cache and a Cachel. Yes, to say the least. <laughs> like, and that they both got, go by Cash. Yeah. It took a long time for me to wrap my head around that. Uh, so Cache dated Cinco on Love Island, I understand, but they broke up. Okay, but then there's They broke also... up in the interim between the season and now. Yeah, but then there's this other break. What, what's the other breakup where they broke? So Cache and Kira broke up during the eight-hour car ride. They broke up on hour four. Yes. That was the yes, other. Thing. Sorry. Yes. 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 Okay. No, I was thinking. I was confused because of the cash of it all. Like, Wait, you just <laughs> mentioned her. Yes. 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 Then Cash and Kira. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we get some Big Brother dynamics as everyone is settling into the house, and this is important because Alyssa. So Alyssa worked with Derek. Well, no, Alyssa was aligned with Xavier, and she says that. Okay. She says that, and that's why she feels betrayed by Xavier. Maybe, I mean, she might have been aligned with Derek too, and I don't remember, but she was specifically aligned with Xavier, who was working with her, but okay. had this final six deal with the cookout. And so Alyssa mentions, I think it's in episode one, that she wants, that she's seeking vengeance on the cookout because of oh, what they did to her. then I've misread this. But I know that Alyssa and Xavier had, like, they were, they were in, the two of them together during the season, but, like, in Alyssa's mind... She just didn't recognize the fact that he had a more an, an, uh, uh, an, another alliance that he was more loyal to. It's okay. not that he was disloyal to Alyssa. It's just kind of like sometimes you reach a crossroad where you have yeah. to choose one or the other, and he didn't choose Alyssa. And so yeah. she feels some type of way about it. But my point being, like, I don't think Alyssa in actuality feels some type of way about it. I think she recognizes that that's how the game goes. But I think for the sake of the challenge, this show, she is being asked to sort of like, like, you know, mine those feelings and bring them back to the forefront. I don't think this is something that is on her mind. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Mm, I think it is on her mind. Perhaps. 
I just think that because we're going to have to start to see this. I mean, this is what we really see at the start of episode one is that there is a clear division between all the shows, right? The Love Islanders are sticking together. The survivors are sticking together. The big brothers are sticking together. The amazing race feel like they're in this position where there's only three of them. And so like maybe they're, maybe they're in a really bad position because they'll be easy to pick off. Or maybe they're in like a good swing position that like somebody wants to pick them up and work with them. And we'll see in the next couple episodes that James wants to attach himself to the survivors. So that's what's interesting about the dynamic. But what's going to happen and what we've started to see glimpses of is like, where are the cracks going to be in this alliance? And so it felt like to me that they were setting up Alyssa and possibly Derek as these people from Big Brother who see themselves more so as free agents who are looking to like almost more than free agents. But like, I I want to turn on the members of the cookout. Interesting. Perhaps. This makes me think also, I want to correct something I said earlier on in this episode. I mentioned that we were down to only one Amazing Racer. We we still have two. Okay, I thought so, but I was like... Yeah, my bad. I don't know what I'm talking about. My bad. Okay. I feel like I'm going to be spouting a lot of misinformation. um, I've already started, so don't Well, but like we're catching up on three episodes (laughs) and learning a lot of names. And so I think like as more time goes on, we'll be able to get more and more accurate when there's less you know, names and wins and losses and gauntlets and challenges and duels and, you know. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the first challenge, the first daily challenge, as they call it. So it's called Down to Do the Math, where two teams at a time must rappel down the side of a 22-story building while solving a series of math questions that are sort of like, there are numbers taped to the windows of the building and they have to continue like adding subtract subtracting dividing multiplying them as they go down in order to put the correct combination in uh to the bottom of the building so great this challenge like i was honestly like a little bit underwhelmed by this as the first challenge i thought it was like interesting from like a fear factor perspective of like repelling down a huge building but like in terms of the math and stuff like I found it a little bit hard to follow and I mean like I'm not interested in math really like I like that there's a a logical element to this challenge but I just felt like this challenge went forever I don't agree (laughs) like I hear what you're saying but I feel like they recognize that in having two pairs go at the same time and I thought that there were some elements of this that I found really interesting. For instance, the twist that if you come down and can't get it within three tries, you have to literally go again. Because, I, again, I was learning the rules of the show in this episode. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, I was like, oh, you would just, you know, you would be amongst the losers. But then I realized, like, there has to be a ranking. There has to be a definitive loser in every episode. So if multiple teams come down and have the wrong answer, there need, like, that creates a problem, right? We have to know who is the loseriest loser. So the idea that you would go, that you would scale this 22-story building and then not only have to do it again, but have to run up 22 flights, or would it be 21 flights to get to the 22nd floor? Whatever. You know what I mean? Whatever. <laughs> that, they, that they would add that component to it. Again, speaking to like the idea of like, you know, this show just being so incredibly physical, I was like gobsmacked that Ozza and Kylan had to literally run back up. Yeah. Was it Ozza and Kylan? 
Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. So I, I agree with you that like after a while it was sort of like, okay, I get it. We're doing this again. However, as someone who's currently watching Big Brother, the current season of Big Brother, and watching them literally just like do the most mundane challenge in which we have to watch every single individual house guest go at it. For those of you watching Big Brother, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> this to me was like, we paced this well. We got through it quickly. And again, I'm getting my bearings as to who's who. So this was helpful in that sense as well. So my complaint is like, I wasn't getting my bearing of who's who because they all looked the same repelling down that thing. And I felt like they almost needed like, um, I can't remember if it was the mole or like murder in small town X or like, I think a mole did this, but where they had the head cams, you know, which are a little mm-hmm. sickening to watch. But like, I needed close ups of faces because I couldn't tell who was like repelling. I wasn't that interested. I didn't, I didn't understand how they picked their partners. I was so, so the first round, the algorithm didn't pick their pairs. They picked their own pairs, but it happened so fast. I was like, how, wait, how did they get paired off? And maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention, but wait, I no, just, I thought, I thought they picked their first partners. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying the algorithm oh, didn't. Oh, but didn't. I like Sorry, missed how that happened. It happened yeah, so yeah, quickly. Yeah, yeah. And because we but got again, this confessional. I was by that. Like that's we got this confessional from Danny that was like oh, the one piece of advice Kiki told me. And although we're gonna hear like fifteen more pieces of advice yeah. that Kiki told him. <laughs> but the one piece of advice that Kiki told me was don't align yourself with Shan and here I am with Shan. I'm like, well, wait a second. If that, so if you didn't want to be aligned with Shan, but you picked your partner, then how did you wind up with Shan? Yeah. Confusing. Okay. So anyways, <laughs> yeah, this was what it was. I I have to say TJ's bull. What do you call those bull horns? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that what they're called? Yeah. Whatever those are. Uh, very interesting mechanism that the show leans on for every challenge. Very like, lo-fi uh like it's not fancy do you know what i mean no and speaking of unfancy uh tj's wardrobe oh man (laughs) oh man you know i was talking about the under armor fits earlier what i really want to target in quickly i just want to say tj we need a stylist asap i have a few in my phone i'm happy to pass them off to paramount or cbs or what have you but tj looks ridiculous these clothes are so (laughs) ill-fitting um so that bullhorn uh that's the best thing he's got at this point because it's certainly not the clothes it looks like he went into a zara blindfolded yeah and came out with like the first it was like it was like a challenge he yeah, did no, a challenge like, where he went blindfolded in... into a Zara and just yeah. grabbed the first things he, he his hands touched. The first things, threw them all together, and then, yeah, there's just, it's sized so poorly. He looks ridiculous. But all things considered, I sort of appreciate the uh, Xanaxy energy of TJ in contrast <laughs> to, like, the Adderall-y Jeff kind of challenge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I like the fact that, like, TJ's pretty laid back in the challenge itself and not really like commentating so much. Um, But I don't know. I have to say, I thought this was a a good first challenge, but I do hear what you're saying, but it didn't register. In my mind, I was like, holy shit. I like the fact that it was such a exciting beginning, scaling a building. And I really appreciated the fact that no one in the cast was unwilling to do it. I like the fact that they were like, they specifically cast these 28 people, all of whom were like ready to take on the challenge. Obviously there was that one Love Islander who was like, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into, but she ultimately did it. Mm -hmm. And so I like that there was no narrative around like 
they kind of pushed past what I thought could have been a narrative like, oh my God, I'm scared to even like, you know, descend off the building. No one had that moment. They're like, we got right down to business. And I like that a lot. It's really interesting to me that this is set in Buenos Aires because so interesting. they don't use the local environment in any interesting way. They're like, we need to find a parking lot to do this challenge in. Yeah. Like, why? why are they in Argentina? Is there like a tax break I don't know about? I'm curious, but it's like, give us Survivor Buenos Aires. Because at some point when they, somebody of the pairs who I didn't know who they were at the time is like, wait, wait look around you. It's stunning. I'm like, well, I don't know where they are. Are they yeah. in Atlanta? Like, I don't know. What is the city? And then I, I had forgotten that they were in Buenos Aires because there's nothing, <laughs> there's no, no dif- like distinctive features to it that separates it from any American city yeah. based on what we're seeing in the challenge. It's a beautiful Again, this city. this is why we sort of but... need, like, you know how And Just Like That had, like, the ancillary documentary that was, like, the making of? It's like, I need an And Just Like That documentary of the Challenge USA, which is like, you know, how did we cast? How did, you know, why did we choose these four shows? How did we land at the cast within them? How do we do the breakdown of which number? Why Buenos Aires? Why TJ's wardrobe? Like, there's so many questions that seem unanswerable at this point maybe at some point we can get someone on production in here it would be fun to sort of grill them about these things yeah or we could just talk to shan okay more comfortable moving on let's talk strategy because the winners of this challenge are tyson and angela and the losers are kylan and aza right so and now we have this strategy session, which I was like, well, what, what strategy? I don't know. What? It's interesting that the challenge, like, they don't really, like, fully explain how it works, which I get. I mean, I was very much in the experience of somebody coming to Survivor in Survivor 42, right? Like, new. And you're, and you're just thrown into it. And we talk about this all the time, right? Where you're like, wait a second, does this make sense? And so, like, I'm just along for the ride, which is why it took me a couple episodes to really, like, find my footing with this show so we just like go to this strategy session i'm like i don't know what's going on but it's actually quite clear like going back to see what happened tyson obviously doesn't want to put survivors into the ring and angela doesn't want to put big brother contestants into the ring so there's like limited options based on the pairing offs of what they can do so there's talk about how Shannon, a Love Islander, doesn't want to be there if you recall there was a scene earlier where her shoulder was bussing uh, and then, so there's like a little bit of strategy and then they have this night out sort of in, in the middle of it, which is it's a really interesting like, element. Yeah. Top models, early seasons. Yeah, like, yeah. I really, yeah. Top model. That's a really good parallel to draw because like they live in a house together, but they're doing these challenges and then there's like an elimination. That's a really good. But a big part of like early top model was the house dynamics. Yeah. yeah. Them going out and drinking and getting to know one another. They later took that out of the show Um, because I think it sort of showed the worst parts of a lot of these women because (laughs) a lot of them were small town girls that had not been exposed to cultures outside of their own and that started to show blah 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 but I did appreciate the night out aspect and there certainly was like a we're off the clock element to things and I was especially interested to see like because it was booths right so it's like who's sitting with Mm -hmm. who and I appreciated the fact that like Again, I'm not, I don't know names yet, but the gay, amazing racer, I was expecting him to be with the women, but no, he was like in the thick of it, talking strategy with the boys. And I was like, yes, like, I love this. 
Well, yeah, to the booth's point, it's like, it's interesting. I wish that there were more situations where they had to break out because it's unfortunate, I think, that the bedroom in the house is one big room with bunk beds. It would be really interesting to see a Big Brother style house where there's rooms, where there's like, they are making a decision about where they're sleeping and who they're sleeping with. And then how does that influence, if, you know, we have like four survivors in a room and like one amazing racer, like what's that going to do to the dynamic, right? I think there's a lot of potential there that's like, I don't know what previous challenge houses look like. Maybe they've done that before. Maybe they have. Also, just while I'm thinking about it, it's like, you know, we talked a lot, you know, with when we had Sophie and Parvati on about pre-gaming, and I'm just like wondering, like, do you think anyone on this show pre-gamed at all? Interesting. They must have. But because the rules the fact that, uh, changed so drastically. Danny, right. And the fact that Danny's wife was like, don't work with Shan would lead us to believe that Danny knew Shan was playing, which deductive yes. reasoning would make us think that maybe everyone knew everyone that was playing or at least who had been asked to play. Yes. Um, and I imagine there had to be some level of pre-gaming. We'll ask Shan. Okay. Are we ta- What is with, is, are you I'm, hoping I'm we're joking. having Shan? Okay. Okay. Got it. I was like, where is this? Okay. I'm not talking to Shan. I'm not, I'm not talking to Shan, but I just don't have any plans to talk to Shan. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have any plans for Shan to come on here. Um, <laughs> I, what I really liked about this night out was like the juxtaposition of the Love Islanders and everybody else, where you had like James sitting in the booth with like survivors and the big brother people talking, and then just shots of the Love Islanders literally twerking like against the booths. Like that is the energy that they bring to the show, and I think it's needed. Exactly. And my, it just goes to show like I'm glad I gave the show a chance because. That would have been my biggest fear from the outset, which I now realize is one of the biggest uh, great aspects of the show is the, what they bring. And that was, yeah. So I think it's just this, this show is unexpected. I'm, I'm really, I'm connecting with players I thought I would have no feeling toward whatsoever. Yeah. And like one of those players that I really liked from episode one was Selly from Love Island. I thought that she was interesting. And then, of course, like, unfortunately, she is put up for uh, elimination and ends up going home. But the way that she gets put up is I wish that we saw more of the strategy because we see like after this night out that James goes to Tyson and Angela and says like, hey, like my partner Shannon, I know people are talking about how she doesn't want to be here. But like, I really want to be here. And so like, here's my pitch to you, but I don't feel like we really see, get like the meat of the pitch. Um, They do do this like flashback sort of sequence, you know, after the decisions made in the arena of like how the strategy goes down and like what went into the decision. But um, ultimately like what's great and what made James such an early standout character is he's able to make these strategic moves in a really effective way despite not being great at the actual challenges because you know whatever he said to tyson and angela uh had them save james and shannon and they put Sally and giovanni up into the elimination arena and one of the great things that came from that with Sally's elimination was it brought us this arc which took us into episode two with justine where we end the episode with justine her best friend from her season of love island again a character that you and i do not know but justine's out for blood now because she wants vengeance because her best friend was just ousted so it but but she gets paired with tyson doesn't she 
Yes, incredibly yeah. so. Yeah. And then yeah. ends up sort of coming around to Tyson and it sort of is a little bit of like a karate kid moment where Justine is sort of like the young, you know, I don't know. The, yes, the, yes. Because like he's samurai or something. Yeah, whatever. And it's sort of like, oh, yeah, something like that. But Justine's <laughs> sort of like, oh, I didn't realize the like the level of strategy one can deploy in a game like this. And here I am being paired with the best of the best. I can learn something from him. And I think that it, her, you can see her wheels turning in her head as far as like, I can really play this game. Yeah. So I think that was like, again, like, sure, whether the algorithm is doing the pairing, whatever, I still think there are interesting results that are not producer, um, you know, orchestrated. Yeah. So kind of an easy elimination this round, I think, yeah. because the pairs were self-chosen and you had this pair of Sally and Giovanni from love island like i feel like it's an easy target and probably what james said was like hey we amazing racers will work with you survivor and big brother like let's make uh, let's make love island like an easy target early on but then that's gonna get sort of like monkey wrenched by okay. the algorithm right do we need to talk about the challenge we kind of already talked about it all these knots in the there's knots they untie them there's knots yeah yeah there we go so Aza and Kylan save themselves. Sally and Giovanni go home. Episode two, let's go straight into it. Uh, we get the algorithm making some messy choices. So we have James and Kayla on one team who are two of only three the Amazing Race contestants. We also have Cache and Cinco who you know were exes, had previously dated. And of course, the Tyson and Justine herring. So like, mm. and then adding to things, we have Tiffany, who's a Big Brother contestant, who's flirting with what's his Cinco. name? Cinco. <laughs> flirting with Cinco. Cache is not happy about it. Cache is in bed with Sarah Lucina at one point, <laughs> talking to her about yeah. that, and it's just fun watching Sarah play the part of like you know, girl who braids the other girl's hair in bed. Um, but again, adding to sort of like some dramatic elements that uh, have nothing to do with the challenge itself, but sort of, you know, add texture to to the show. Yeah. Let's talk about the challenge because they go straight into the daily challenge called Yeah Boy, which like this show is straight enough. We don't need that. Yeah, no, but it's... okay. So this one's really interesting where the teams have to swim to a ladder, climb up and then jump on to that spinning buoy with tires on it. And then they have to collect the letters and come back and make like basically a Scrabble board to try to make the most words that they can. We talked a little bit about this earlier, but I really loved this challenge. It was the first one that I was like, okay, like I could imagine doing this because there's multiple elements to it. It's not just rappelling down and doing math. Like this was like, get on the thing. If you're afraid of heights, oh, well, you just have to jump onto this thing. Hope you hang on to it. The number of people who bounced off and fell into the water. You had James falling into the water and then wailing at one point where I thought there might be a medevac, but like ultimately he was fine. So it was just gay panic. But uh, I just really, really, really enjoyed this challenge. And then there was strategy to it as well in terms of like what letters were you collecting? Were you leaving someone behind to do the letters, as you said earlier? Um making one big word right somebody made manipulate and then built words off of that where others were just like making shitty three-letter words and i like the idea of like you know ordinarily you might think oh well the one player has to do the physical part the other player has to do the intellectual part but 
there's a world in which it's like someone's good at both and they have to, and and the other person's good at neither of them. So it's like it's not necessarily like uh it's just an easy allocation because there are plenty of people that are not physical players that are also not good with the, the word scramble of it all. So I I really like sort of watching people navigate how but like for instance in the case of um Tyson and Justine, that pairing worked out great, right? It's like Justine said, she's like, I love, you know, these word puzzles like this. And Tyson obviously was great with grabbing the the letters out there. Yeah. So Tyson and Justine win Tyson's second win in a row. It's interesting because like he had enough, he had enough after the first episode to make it to the finale, right? He has his $5,000. Well, it was $6,000 he had in the bank. And he, all he had to do, as he said, was survive uh, until the end, right? But is this putting a bigger target on him? There's sort of two ways you can look at it, right? It's either putting a bigger target on him because he's showing himself to be very strong in the challenges. He's taking space that other people could be winning money and he's going to be maybe harder to be in the end. And like if the money comes to anything, he's got more of it now. On the other hand, he has this new partner, Justine, who like, if he helps her get into the finale with her $5,000, then that's an ally because we see over these three episodes that Angela continues to work with Tyson, who he who he was paired with in episode one. Also, there's the fact that let's say you, be, you won the challenge, right? And you're like, well, Tyson's my biggest threat. I want to take him out. I'm going to use this opportunity with my win to take him out. You, it's not like Big Brother. It's not a vote, right? It's like he has the opportunity to go and win this, win the, what is it? The Sorry, the duel, what is it called? The arena. The, yeah, I would just say the elimination arena, okay. whatever. So, but the point <laughs> is, if Tyson is proving himself to be such a challenge beast, it chances are he's going to go into the arena and win. And so by him not winning, it, even if he doesn't win, and he, it's not necessarily like you'd want to target him just because he doesn't win, because it's not necessarily going to be to your advantage. And, if you do target him, he goes into the arena and wins. He's probably coming back with a vengeance for whoever put mm-hmm. him in there in the first place. So Tyson is in a particularly good spot, I feel, because unlike Survivor, where it's like, oh, you don't want to let someone keep winning, I don't think this is a show where you necessarily go after someone like Tyson because there's no guaranteed way of getting him out. Yeah, that's true, but... I do think that there's going to come a point where... So it's tricky early on because it's like at some point you do want to eliminate challenge beasts, but not early on where you are randomly paired with somebody, right? Because if you start eliminating... Because you want to win yourself and you need a strong pair. You need a strong teammate. You also need to put people in there that have a shot against someone like a Tyson. Whereas right now, they're kind of putting the weakest people, the people that they just want out of the game. But there is going to come a point when the weak players are out of the game. Yes. And you start to strategize in a different way and say, and this is something that's happened on the challenge all the time, where it's like the people, and again, it happens on Survivor 2 with the fire making challenge, where it's like, let's send someone really good at this in order to take out someone that's also good. Yeah. So Tyson and Justine win, but James and Kayla lose because they can't get a single word onto their board because James can't jump onto the buoy. So sad for them. Sad. Uh, But James has to go into damage mode here again because, 
you know, he was just sort of like considered for elimination last round because he was paired with Shannon. This time he is going to elimination because he lost the challenge. And so he goes to Tyson and Justine and says that he should put them up against Cashel and Tiffany to cut the head off of the cookout alliance, right? So this is like really like first shots fired at Big Brother, which he can do this time. He couldn't do it last time because Angela was part of the winning team. This time he has the opportunity to make that pitch and it's ultimately what they go with. Um, But there's a lot of interesting stuff that's brought up here because there's some messy drama going on in the house as well, in addition to the strategy, which is that we see this connection between Tiffany and Cinco. I mean, like previously, I think we saw Cinco carrying Tiffany to bed, but then we see them like doing this yoga stuff. And there's this scene of Shan talking to a group of people, including Desi, Sarah Lucina, not sure who else is there. But Shan is saying like, oh, well, you know, I've heard outside of the house that Tiffany and Senko have this thing going on. And Desi's talking about how they're swapping DNA. And there's this segment that's made about like, Sarah says, you know, we don't really need a newspaper in here because we have Shan, the Shan news. And then so the editors do this really fun little thing where, because obviously the confessionals, the confessionals look bad. The confessionals look bad. They are green screened. We've got this bad fake concrete wall behind them that says the challenge. I feel like then they show us what they can do with the green screen confessionals, which is that they put Shan behind a newscaster's table um newscaster's desk and they have her talking about how she's very strategic about the information she shares and she doesn't just share to share there's something behind it always but i i'm not sure that like she connected the dots on like how the gossip she was sharing about tiffany and senko had anything to do with her game plan because as i understand shan is actually like very very friendly with the cookout outside of the challenge and whether whether she didn't want to play with them in the game i don't know but like and we, we've seen her chit chat with the big brother contestants quite a bit like i think she's quite friendly with them and probably in some ways more comfortable with that group than with the survivors um because certainly she spent more time with them outside of the house so i thought this was really interesting i thought it was like a funny little editing moment and like a first glimpse at messy shan but there's more because this spills over into Twitter where Alyssa quoted the video, a tweet of the video of Shan telling the story about Tiffany and Senko and said, wait, Shan, I thought your story was that I said this hashtag busted. So like that doesn't come out in the episode but like clearly uh, what Alyssa's indicating is that that information got out that people were gossiping about tiffany and cinco and that shan told people that Alyssa was the one who spread that information okay then shan lashes out and she tweets y'all met becky y'all met karen but let me introduce you to an Alyssa." And then tags Alyssa. One who will be seen around members of the cookout will exploit the hype, attention, and the benefits of proximity to said group, all the while seeking her own self-advancement and opportunity for revenge. Then she said, 
wait, not Alyssa running around with the cookout all year, benefiting from proximity to the culture, perpetrating and pretending to be understanding of the movement and its significance, all the while plotting revenge, trash emoji. Then ats Alyssa and says, by the way, one, at least at me, and two, you did say it. You did say it. We all know production doesn't show everything, and you should be grateful for that. So, like, coming out of nowhere, truly, and then uh, I think the audience wasn't buying the album, and Shan has since deleted her Twitter account. So just wanted to fill everybody in on that. Don't know. (laughs) Don't know what's happening there. Well, we wish them both the best. We'll ask Shan. Okay, so let's go. Let's go to the arena, back to the game, where we have Kayla and James, who are going to face off against Tiffany and Cashel. I'm so sorry, Evan. They are playing a game called Knowledge is Powered, which I thought was funny because, like, is this a nod to Survivor or is it just words that they put together? I think it's words they put together. Okay. So... In this one, they're, you know, on stationary bikes and they have to light up this battery in order to see symbols for like three seconds and then replicate the symbols. This one, again, is like a little tricky because it's like there was no indication of like how much they need to pedal to light up the light. It just lights up like right for producer manipulation, but it was what it was. Ultimately, James and Kayla like kill this challenge. I thought they did so well and they were so fun to watch. Super fun to watch, the right energy for the challenge, and clearly you got the sense that everyone was rooting for them. Um, Not necessarily because they didn't like um, Tiffany and Cashel, but just like they liked the energy that they were bringing to the challenge. It, from a production standpoint, you can imagine the producers are like, this is exactly what we want. There's two ways in which these challenges can go, right? Which is like episode one, in which it's like super serious, titans are battling it out blah 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 or there's this version which is like you add the levity to the situation both work um but i think this one in this moment worked particularly well and i don't know about you but i was like extra rooting i was just like so validated watching them come up from behind it seemed like they were the odds were stacked against them from the outset and it was just fun to watch them live to compete another day and I really, really liked Kayla in this challenge. And she was talking about how on The Amazing Race, like a memory challenge was her downfall and that she was trying to overcome that. And I just felt like, again, it was like, I haven't seen much of Kayla, but like this moment really was like, oh, this is, yeah, I like this energy being involved in the show. She's certainly, I, would, I don't want to describe her as an older woman, but like in contrast to like the Love Islanders, she's an older woman on the show. And Absolutely. it's like in the way that Tasha brought like sort of a more mature energy and a more like, I'm here to play this game. Uh, I felt that from Kayla and really liked that. Okay, let's get into episode three. Whew. Okay, so the algorithm pairs people up. Just of note, Shan is paired with Derek, and then we get that scene that we referenced earlier where she's trying to convince him, hey, I'm not this like schemer that you see on TV. Don't worry about me. I feel like maybe Shan didn't have enough separation from Survivor 41 to like really think about the way that she was going to play another game because she's really playing it the same way. And it's so transparent. 
Also, Dom is sick of the Love Island drama and that he just keeps <laughs> that he just keeps getting paired with Love Islanders, but his new partner is Cash, our last remaining Cash. Um, and his it's his third Love Island pair in the game. Should have been a red flag that we're, we're starting to hear from Dom a lot in this episode that um, he was going to wind up in the arena. Which to me, again, going back to the Shan of it all, tells me that like we're winding up to something with Shan as well. It feels that way. It feels like something's happening. Or Shan is just like going to be a huge character this whole season. Right, and I think that's more to to the credit of the editors here. It's like it could go either way, so it's yeah. not really like as they start to build a character. I mean, the Dom one I think kind of came out of nowhere more, so yeah. that to me made it more obvious. But like sometimes you never know with a certain person whether or not an organic arc is just building, or if they're doing the oh it's goodbye for this per- person, so we have to introduce them. Yeah. So let's go to the daily challenge. It's the hangman challenge where they have to like build every element of the challenge before they can even run it, which is like putting the staircases in, which seems like a lot harder than it should have been. Um, And then one player walks out onto a plank and it's basically that survivor challenge where they have to like hold uh, a barbell on their back and weights get added to it. But the weights get added to it when they bring a letter out to the wheel of fortune board and the letter is wrong as in it's not on the board they have to add a weight to their uh, partner's bar and this one was interesting because at first i was confused because i thought that they all had the same answer which wouldn't have been fair right because they can all see the boards so they all had different answers they were all completely like random phrases that meant nothing which i kind of liked it wasn't like the survivor immunity challenge style phrase of like you're safe tonight or whatever um so I kind of appreciated that. I felt like this challenge was like a little bit like half-baked. Like I felt like there could have been more to it or something. Um, and because we see James and Tasha go out on kind of like a dumb mistake where Tasha just, the, the bar tips and her weight touches It's like they the needed ground, an opportunity done. to get back into it. Like it just Yeah, it should have like just been a penalty. Like they, yeah, yeah something happens. And considering we saw something happen similarly with James in the last episode where it's like they were, he couldn't get himself onto the, the tire thing Mm -hmm. in order to get the, it's like, they're basically like, sometimes it's like there's a barrier to entrance and it's like, if someone can't cross that barrier, there has to be like an alternative. And it's like, we just saw two times where it's like James was just up against impossible odds. Yeah. Yeah. So ultimately Angela and Kylan win this one anything else to say about this challenge no no okay so angela again so we have like two wins for tyson two wins for angela at this point our original winning pair who continue to seem to work together and it's interesting because right after this we go back to the house and tyson is sort of shown as like continuing to run the show because he goes straight to angela and he's trying to influence her decision for the elimination arena and like by all like by all accounts she's hearing him out so he's pitching that they should keep the strongest players there and like we discussed like there's sort of merit to this but you also should be eliminating threats but if they're the strongest players they've both won two challenges then like you know they're preaching to the choir on that one and really their challenge is going to be convincing others that that's also the way to go um, because at some point the strongest presumably are going to have to turn on each other 
Um, James, again, is in this position because he lost with Tasha that he has to pitch uh, to the winning team. And he pitches that he'd like to compete against someone with money. So that was like another, then I was like, wait a second. Oh, that's a strategy, right? Like I'm learning as we go here. So he can either compete against someone with money or they can draw this along alliance lines where this one's interesting because Angela and Kylan are both from Big Brother. And so they don't have as much of uh, an obligation to keep any of the survivors safe or, you know, the Love Islanders safe, certainly. And so that's how we get this situation where Dom and Cash are in trouble because they're not going to go against Big Brother. So Dom and Cash being half survivor, half Love Island are like, a great option to throw in there. Plus there's like rumors that like Dom doesn't want to be there that are going around, which I don't really understand where those came from. Um, and so the options are Dom and cash or Leo and Justine Leo. Interesting because isn't Leo from the amazing race. He's one of the amazing racers. And I think James threw his name out there. Yes. But from my perspective, it's like at that point when you are so outnumbered here, I I don't think it was like, it's not as though the three of them teaming up have any kind of power in any kind of way. So while I can understand that, like, yes, he was going against his amazing race, strong sort of, you know, crew, they were, they're in the weakest position from the get go. So I don't think it, it's not like it makes no sense for them to divide. Really, if you're James, at that point, it's your own game. You need to ingratiate yourself with one of the three shows. And that's what he said, right? He said, I want to align yeah. with the survivors. Like Survivor. I see that, yeah. that's my future. Which uh, totally makes sense. Yeah, totally. So ultimately at the arena, Angela and Kyland choose to put Dom and Cash in the arena. And I thought that this game was really fun. Although like maybe could use some improvements, but... Uh, so one team member has to go into this tank basically filled with water. They have to release these, what seem like cement blocks, but they float. So they're not cement, but these like building blocks, uh, from the water, pass them off to their partner, and then they have to build a tower out of it. And I think the tower has to be like a certain height. And meanwhile, the water is being drained from the tank through a plug. And so in, in order to... Well, if the water goes below a certain level, then you're just disqualified or the challenge is over. And so the person who's releasing the blocks has to be conscious both of getting the right blocks out to their partner so that they can build the biggest tower and also to not let the water drain out of the tank before their partner is done. Like the reason that this was so good was because Dom... I don't know if he didn't hear those instructions or he didn't understand them. I certainly didn't understand them when I heard it because my understanding was that like the partner building had to block that end of the tank. Like that was how I heard it. And then when I saw that James was blocking the plug inside the tank, I was like, oh, that well, that must be it. And clearly that was the way that the challenge was designed and Dom just didn't block it once. Like he didn't even try to block it and his water was rushing out and yet cash manages to build the biggest tower like just in time because the water was at the line like people are shouting like what's he doing um but they managed to win anyways because tasha by all accounts i listened to tasha's exit interview actually uh that she was just too short to build the tower she was like i didn't have the height to get the blocks up onto 
mm. each other. So we should have actually been in sep- we should have been in different positions, her and James. Um, so that was fun. I felt like the water element to that challenge was like really fun. I, like James talked about like trying to sit on it, but it really hurt. Uh, which, <laughs> which was like great re- gay representation, uh, which of course was followed up by Dom's reminder to always plug your hole. Um, so there we have it. James and Tasha very sadly eliminated because I feel like both of them really brought a lot of heart to the game. And James was really interesting to watch from a strategic standpoint because I felt like I felt like his game was just getting started and uh, it's yeah. unfortunate. And I think there were plenty of people left in the game that would have been willing to work with him. Yeah. So I'm excited to like see what's going to happen. I don't want to do a winner prediction or anything like that because like I don't still don't really know who's in the game and who's because at this point, if I'm picking a winner, it's Tyson, right? Just based on the edit. So I guess I've just picked a winner. I'm do you want to pick one? Sarah. Okay. Uh, I did get a couple of voicemails I'd like to play. They're like short. I think I have two. Because I have to encourage our challenge watcher listeners. So please send us voicemails. Here's one. Hey guys, here Ricky from Italy. Big fan overseas. So I love these first few episodes of the challenge. But is it just me or the episodes feel way too short? Like, I've been feeling it for Survivor 2. Like, so much is happening and it just cannot be portrayed well in a short amount of time. Also, Tasha is amazing and needs to come back on Survivor, but the challenge is fine too, I guess. And Shan, like, I think she's great TV, but she's a bit hypocritical. I want to like her and I want to root for her, but she makes it very hard. I don't know. What do you guys think? Are the episodes too short? No. I mean, yes. But (laughs) in contrast, I think about uh, Drag Race expanding from 60 minutes to 90 and how laborious that 90-minute episode can be. So for me, I often think that there's like a sweet spot that's like 75 minutes that unfortunately does not exist in the current Mm. format of television as we have it. And so I think that like, yes, they are a little bit too short, but I don't think the solution is jumping to 90 minutes. I think I'd rather a show be 60 minutes and left wanting more than what happens with Drag Race where like by the end of it, I feel fatigued. Yeah, I do feel like Survivor could have longer episodes, to his point. But I think the challenge episodes are a perfectly fine length. But this makes me think about the great thing about like HBO is that the shows are allowed to be whatever length Mm -hmm. they, or Netflix also, like they can be whatever length they need to be, Mm -hmm. which would be really interesting to see a reality show be able to adopt that format to say like, hey, this episode was pretty concrete. So we're keeping it as 44 minutes with commercials. This episode, a twist happened that we weren't expecting or the challenge took longer blah 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 so we're going to 55 minutes for this episode like it would be fun to see them be given the autonomy that a lot of these uh episodes uh the dramatic shows are given where they can kind of say this week we're going long because we want to yeah hey i remember seeing that when they announced the survivor 43 premiere date i think it's a i think it's a two-hour premiere like it often is i think and then that they announced that the second episode will be 90 minutes, which is interesting. They've never done that before. So like maybe they're testing this out. 
I don't know if I need it for Survivor 43, but like retroactively yeah. for like, you know, Survivor 15, I'd like that. Mm. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, last. Be a high ranking season. <laughs> last one uh, from Nathan. My name's Nathan from Philadelphia. So I'm a really big fan of the original challenge. And the highlight was just the partying and the drunken banter. And the gameplay was fun, but that wasn't the important part. This challenge USA is so strategically heavy that it's missing that element of fun that the challenge has always had. But the thing that the flagship challenge is missing that this Challenge USA has is bringing all these people together from different shows and putting them together has made me very happy as a CBS super fan of all the reality competitions. That's kind of my take on everything. That's a really interesting point that I, I, I can totally understand. I think that that is the challenging thing about not only bringing these four shows together that are not, you know, all the same as we've pointed out, but then also fitting them into a pre-existing format that has its own fandom. Like we're coming at this as fans of one quarter of the shows being represented, but unlike what's the other, what's the other show we're recapping? Snake in the Grass. Unlike (laughs) Snake in the Grass, which is its own show from what I understand, it's a new show. Um, this is yeah. basically, it's like we are guests in someone else's home, right? And so there are ways in which a whole fandom could be watching this show that is unfamiliar with all four of these shows and is simply a fan of the format of the pre-existing show. Yeah. Um, and has So that's interesting just thinking about what, uh, how did the producers of the show and particularly the story editors go about thinking about that? Like, yeah. you know, like here we are, with we're a fan of one show, but recognize a lot of, I mean, I know the big brother people, you recognize a lot of the big brother people. So in theory, we know about 50% of the cast, but are they, were they devising this with the, you know, on the off chance, you know, nobody. Um, I'm trying to imagine too, like say you come into the season with no knowledge of someone like Shan, does that, do they, are they, do they have to story build Shan or are they kind of building it with the understanding that like you have a rudimentary entry point you'll do the googling there's not a ton of flashbacks on this show because i just i think with 28 contestants you can't do too much um but it is interesting thinking about the people watching with the perspective from the perspective of i just i want my challenge yeah it is it's also interesting that like to hear oh i'm a survivor or i'm a cbs super fan it's like i kind of i don't wish that i watched big brother i chose not to but like in this moment, it would be really fun to have the experience of like all these big mm. brother contestants that I know and love are coming to play with all these survivor contestants that I know and love or hate. And a few amazing race people. And like, I don't know that there's any audience from Love Island that's like coming in here, but. Um, well, let me just say if you are a fan of Big Brother, be so happy that I do not have a Big Brother recap podcast because I know a lot of the feedback that we get about the Drop Your Buffs recaps is my negativity. Um, and my feelings on Big Brother, I just fucking hate Big Brother. I hate so, Big Brother. Except, so, except, save for Janelle. I hate Big Brother. Save for Janelle. And there's a few other, play, there's a few contestants in the past that I have enjoyed, but it is just, it's like everything about Survivor that I love is stripped away uh, for Big Brother. And it's also just so poorly cast. Um, 
it, but it makes me appreciate uh, Survivor so much more. But that said, um, I think we're going to stick with this. I'm fully here for the show. I'm eager to see where it lands. I'm looking forward to Thursday. I would be curious to like hear for our next episode. Obviously, we'll be getting into like a more thorough episodic recap because, you know, we had to catch up on the show itself and then three episodes right now. But I'd be curious to hear what people think. Again, please bear in mind, the shorter the voice memo, the more likely we are to play it. But like, I would love to know, are there people like us that are you know, on a maiden voyage with the challenge because of seeing some of our stars and, and then also of our alumni, who, who are you rooting for? Who do you think is delivering? I mean, it seems like everyone is on the board right now, minus Ben, as far as like players to talk about, you know, our survivors really are stepping out and becoming big components of this show. So who, who are you vibing with? Who are you rooting for? Yeah. And I mean, I, I think we're all in after a two hour podcast. I'm yeah. not giving this up now. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I'm very curious to see where this is going to go. Would love to hear from the listeners on their thoughts, especially if they're challenge historians or challenge newbies. Uh, welcome, everybody. Ooh, I was going to say it would be fun at some point. We need to have. It would be fun at some point to Dreamcast season two, but we would need. We would. We're not really fully equipped to do it. Um, but at some point, we should. When the season's over, we should at least decide who from the survivors we'd want to see. We'd want to see on. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Okay. Let's wrap this up because it's over two hours at this point, and we've got a lot of work to do because we are interviewing an iconic Survivor alum this week which should be out next week uh in our feed so look forward to that also as i mentioned up top we are launching a patreon on august 1st where you will be able to find our recap of the first episode of snake in the grass and video interview from our aussie interview uh we will slowly roll out the video interviews of all of our interviews from the past and the ones in the future will also be available there so very excited about the patreon community and being able to grow that and connect with more people and share more content so subscribe to us so you don't miss anything in our made feed go check out our patreon when it's out next week and dm us we love a voicemail agreed (laughs) okay bye bye